Good morning, everyone. It is great to see each of you here today. Great to see everyone uh, checking in on uh, with us on YouTube and, and Facebook. Thank you for joining us. Myself and Kayla and Evil Knievel, we are happy to uh, lead in worship today. And my prayer as we gather this morning is that uh, everything here today will inspire you to trust in Jesus and follow him each and every day of your life. So if you can stand with us and let's sing about some of the great things that he has done for us. Oh, hallelujah, God, above it all. 
Bible tells us, you probably read, that if we seek him with all of our heart, what will happen? We'll find him. And if we look, we can see him in the sunrise. We can see him in the rain clouds. We can see him in times of joy. We can see him in times of sorrow. If we seek him, we will find him in the mundane moments and the mountaintop moments. And I hope and pray that this next song inspires you to seek him. Because if you do, with all your heart, you will find him. God of love, God of all glory, Every day I see new mercy. Great is your faithfulness. God of love, God of my story. You never fail, you never forsake me. Great is your faithfulness. I see you in the morning light. I feel you in the fire by night. I hear you say, child, I am with you. Everything will be alright I see you in tears that love I feel you when the healing comes I hear you say the love and one I'm with you Every moment of my life I see you I see you I see you God I see you God of love, God of new vision, every blessing you have given. Great is your faithfulness, oh, how great is your faithfulness. I see you in the morning light, I see you in the fire by night. I hear you say, child, I am with you, everything will be alright. I see you with tears that run. I feel you when the healing comes. I hear you say the love and one I'm with you. Every moment of my life, I see you. I see you. I see you. God, I see you. And I will worship. I will worship through the storm. 
church. Father, we want to thank you for being so, so good to us. We want to thank you for your your faithfulness. We want to thank you for your constant presence in our lives. We want to thank you that for the fact that when we may not understand your plan or your will, we can trust in you and we can trust that you are good and we can trust that that you know what's best for us. And so we just humbly submit to your leadership, to your lordship, to your sovereignty. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, Solano Valley Church. Good morning, good morning. And hello to everybody on Facebook and YouTube. So glad that you can um, join in with us today. So I have a couple of announcements for you. And the first one is um, connection in our small groups. So we say this every week, but we say it because it's true and it's important. And that is we need each other. So here at Solano Valley, we, um, we have connect groups. We have small groups. And um, last Sunday, I don't know if you had a chance, but P.C. Walker was here. And he, he spoke on mental health and how, um, how loneliness plays a big part in, in mental health. And if you haven't had a chance to 
if you weren't here last Sunday or you don't, haven't had a chance to listen, check it out on YouTube. It is awesome. So connection groups offer an opportunity and a space to combat loneliness and to grow spiritually and to challenge us to t- stay connected to others and to not isolate. So we have a need to be connected and we have a need to be together. So that's, and that's how God has made us. So let's not neglect that need and let's connect in groups. So I want to invite you to connect in a small group. And how can you find out about those? There's a couple of ways, but the best way is to go onto our Solano Valley Church app. There's a button that says groups and it lists the groups that are currently active. And um, if you don't have that app, you can go to, you can uh, search it. Uh, on the App Store or in Google Play and download it for free. Okay. Another way to connect is by serving. So we have so many opportunities um, for you to serve and to use the gifts that God has given you. And in all honesty, we need you. And we need your giftedness. So check out the app again for ways to serve. Okay. So the next um, one is our drive through trunk or treat. So if today's the 17th, that means not this Saturday, but the following Saturday is our trunk or treat. So this is a annual event that we have. Um, this year we will be doing a drive-through again, and it's a great way for us as a church to connect with our community, to offer something for people to come and to experiencing some fun for their families and for their children. So what that looks like is a a week from Saturday, we'll be pulling up our cars and decorating our trunks for people to drive by. So um, I'll, I've shared this before, but last year it was so neat. And we were right in the middle of COVID, and um, somebody drove up, and they just said, you know, thank you for doing this. I've been looking for something for my child. And the kids love to dress up, and this gives them an opportunity to dress up and for us just to have a lot of fun with, with our community. So if you haven't signed up, please do. There's a sign-up uh, table at the back. We need... Uh, candy, we need people, and we need trunks. So a lot of you have signed up, but if you're thinking, you know, I'm not sure if I can do that whole trunk thing, um, come ask me. I can help, or there's Pinterest, or there's lots of ways to do it. So I would love to see a line of cars. So the other thing that I wanted to let you know about is we have these really cool invites um, to invite people to come and just to kind of put the word out that we're doing this. So kids, take these to... um, your school, invite your friends, uh, parents, invite your coworkers and your neighbors, and just let people know that we're here and we're, we're going to have a great day of fun. That's the 30th from 1 to 3 o'clock. Okay, so um, offering. So right now we are going to continue our worship by giving, uh, by giving our offering. And we say that because when, whenever we offer something up to the Lord, it's worship. And that's why we say we continue our, our worship. So whether we're offering our time, our talents, our treasure, um, it is worship. And giving our treasure or our finances is biblical, and it is one important way of following and honoring God. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you to those who regularly give to the ministry of Solano Valley Church and honor God with your finances. So we have multiple ways that you can give. You can go online to www.solanovalley.org forward slash giving. I always say that wrong. I said it right this time. Uh, You can tap give on the SVC phone app. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. 
You can text give to 707-883-3019. And finally, if you're here in person, you know the drill. We have a little slot in the back where you can drop in your offering. So I just want to thank you so much for your generosity. And right now, I'd like to hand it back to Matt. Thank you, Carolyn. Yes, it's me again. And uh, the reason that uh, I'm speaking right now and the reason that Gary is not speaking is because uh, yesterday he took a little spill on his bike ride. And so he is watching us from home right now. Uh, Nothing broken. He's fine. He's going to be okay. But he is in some pain. And so he is home recovering and uh, recuperating. And so, Gary, we miss you. Joy, we miss you both. And uh, we wish you the uh, a speedy recovery. And um, I would like to uh, uh, take a moment to pray for them. And uh, before we get into uh, our message today, uh, I'm going to uh, take a little bit of a detour. You know, Gary's been doing uh, the uh, a series on the Gospel of John. And so the, the message that I'm going to do today is actually from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. And it's a message that I did actually a few years ago. And so um, uh, we're, I've, you know, kind of updated it a little bit, and we're going to revisit it again and revisit a, a story in the Gospel of Luke that is very powerful and uh, very, I think, applicable for us today. But before we do that, let's take a moment to pray for Gary and pray for Joy. And um, yeah, so let's do that. Father, we are uh, thankful for today, for the fact that you are a good, good father. And I am just so thankful that uh, Gary did not uh, sustain serious, serious injuries on his uh, on his uh, uh, bike crash yesterday. I thank you that there are no broken bones and everything is is, you know, just really sore. And I thank you that it wasn't worse. I thank you that it wasn't worse. And I pray that you would give him patience and grace as he recovers and as he does uh, what he needs to do to, uh, to experience healing and, and restoration. And I pray that you would give joy, grace as well as she takes care of him and, and serves him and gets him back to health. I, I pray that he will be able to get back on that bike soon and, and be able to enjoy this, this hobby that he is so passionate about and that he loves so much. Um, and so we commit his recovery to you. Um, and commit uh, their family to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So I wanted to share with you, as I mentioned, I, I, I did this, uh, this message a, a few years ago. And, um, you know, Max Licato, um, maybe some of you have heard his name before. He's one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite pastors. And he wrote this book a while back called Great Day Every Day. And he shares in his book two very different excerpts from two very different journals. The journal of a dog and the journal of a cat. Okay? And I'd love to share them both with you now. So here is the excerpt from the journal of a dog. A corgi. Absolutely. Cute, right? Don't you just want to hug it? I mean, I just want to hug it. Okay, so here's the excerpt from the Journal of a Dog. 8 a.m., here we go, 8 a.m., beginning of the day. Oh, boy, dog food, my favorite. 
9.30 a.m. Oh, boy, a car ride. My favorite. 9.40. Oh, boy, a walk. My favorite. 10.30 a.m. Oh, boy, another car ride. My favorite. 12 p.m. Oh, boy, the kids. My favorite. 1 p.m. Oh, boy, the yard. My favorite. 4 p.m. Oh, boy, the kids again. My favorite. 5 p.m. Oh, boy, dog food again. My favorite. 5.30 p.m. Oh, boy, mom. My favorite. 6 o'clock. Oh, boy, playing ball. My favorite. And 10.30 p.m. Oh, boy, sleeping in my master's bed. My favorite. Excerpt from the Journal of a Cat. Day 283 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while I'm forced to eat dry cereal. I'm sustained by the hope of escape and the mild satisfaction that I derive by destroying a few pieces of their furniture. Tomorrow, you know what? I just might eat another houseplant. I attempted to kill my captors this morning by weaving through their feet as they walked past me. Next time, I'm going to try it at the top of the stairs. Seeking to disgust and repulse these vile oppressors, I once again induced myself to vomit on their favorite chair. Next time, I'm going to try this on their bed. Been there, done that. Uh, During a gathering of their accomplices, they placed me in solitary confinement, and I overheard that my confinement was due to my power of allergies. I must learn what this means, and I must use it to my advantage. I'm convinced that the other household captives are flunkies, maybe even snitches. And we all know what happens to snitches. The dog is routinely released, and he seems naively happy to return. He is, no doubt, a moron. The bird speaks with the humans regularly, and I'm convinced that he's an informant. I am certain that he reports my every move. Due to his current placement in the metal cage... His safety is assured, but I can wait. It's only a matter of time, my friends. Only a matter of time. So that's the day of a dog, and that's the day of a cat. Same house, same circumstance, same master, but two entirely different attitudes. One is content, and the other is conniving. One is at peace, and one is at war. One is grateful, and the other is grumpy. And a question I want to ask you is, what does your journal look like? More on that a little bit later. Today we're going to spend some time with Jesus in Luke chapter 17. And if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to to open to that chapter, Luke chapter 17. And we're going to walk with Jesus toward Jerusalem. So thus far... In that uh, in in the book, uh, for many months, Jesus has crisscrossed Israel. 
preaching the gospel, doing many miracles and healings, casting out demons, showing compassion, showing sympathy, tenderness and mercy, but also speaking firmly about punishment and about hell and about judgment. He's proclaiming the full counsel of God to awaken people to the necessity of following him and putting their trust in him as, as their Lord and Savior. In the 17th chapter of Luke, we come to verses 11 through 19. That's where I'd love for you to turn to if you have your Bible, verse 11. And during this period of Jesus' journeys, we're in the final months of his life. During this time of months and months of ministry, there was, as I just mentioned, many healings, many miracles. And there were multiple times of teaching and ministering as he moved with his disciples around the land. Now, Luke, however, records five miracles for us. They are, those are, of course, not the only uh, miracles that are recorded in the Gospels, but Luke gives us five, and the one that we're going to focus on, focus on today is the fourth one. The first three miracles that Luke records involves one person. The last one involves two people in Jericho when Jesus heals two blind men. But here is a miracle that involves ten people, ten people with a horrible horrible disease, the disease of leprosy. So we're going to pick up the story as it begins in the Gospel of Luke, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. This is important. We're going to come back and visit that a little bit later. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So, Here is an amazing miracle, the simultaneous instant healing of ten men with leprosy. Now, back in the fifth chapter of Luke, during the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, there's an account of a healing of a leper, but this is that times ten. This is a demonstration of divine power that is unmistakable and undeniable. And I might add as a footnote, Never did the Jewish people or their leaders deny the miracle power of Jesus. Never. They had lots of other issues with him, but they didn't deny this. There was absolutely no way that they could. Nor could they deny his compassion and his sympathy toward those who suffered. Lepers, unfortunately were, of all people, the most to be avoided. That's why it tells us in verse 12 that the lepers stood at a distance. They stood at a distance. And Jesus then demonstrates on this occasion compassion and sympathy and power. 
And he also undoes what people would have assumed to be, most likely, a divine curse. The people in this area at this time had the idea that sickness came as a result of sin. And leprosy, of all things, so horrific, was viewed as divine judgment. And so here is Jesus, sympathetic, compassionate, and powerful, and in their eyes, overturning divine judgment. Medical historians, um, and I didn't know there was such a thing as medical historians until I was, was, uh, was preparing for this message, uh, believed that leprosy originated in Egypt when it, when it, where it was found in an ancient mummy. And Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 lay out a very long and careful prescription for determining whether somebody had this disease. And the local health inspectors at the time, they were the priests, and that was part of their function. That they, they, Since they were responsible to know the law of God and apply the law of God. If you had a skin disease of any kind, you went to the priest and you went through this process of all that was required in Leviticus 13 and 14 so that there could be a determination as to what it, you know exactly you had. And if it was discovered that you had this contagious disease called leprosy, you were then removed from all social contact. And the only people you could ever associate with were other lepers. It was the worst. It was the absolute worst the people that you needed most your family your friends it just wasn't going to happen you were an alien from all of life left only to be with others who were in the same terrible terrible misery that you were these people believed that they had been cursed by god and cursed by man as well and when jesus comes They are healed, and it's an astounding and incredible healing from a lot of different angles. These days, leprosy is called Hansen's disease, and it's a cruel disease, but not in the way that a lot of diseases typically are, because it primarily acts as an anesthetic, numbing the pain cells of of hands and your nose, your feet, and ears, and, and you might think, well, that's not so bad, but because most diseases are felt because of their pain. So what makes this painless disease so horrible? Well, the fact that uh, for thousands of years, people thought that this disease caused the ulcers on hands and feet and face, which eventually led to, you know, not to get too gross, but to the rotting flesh and to the loss of limbs. But it's been established through medical research that in 99% of cases, Hansen's disease just numbs the extremities. The destruction follows, the physical destruction follows because the pain sensors are gone. Basically, people destroy their own limbs and their body parts because they can't feel the damage that's happening as a result of injury or other stressors that they may encounter. So now as we look at the story, you're going to see an amazing story of, of divine goodness and tenderness and compassion and mercy. You're going to see an amazing story of divine power to reverse that disease, to bring it to a screeching halt, and to fully restore all ten people to their pure and whole condition.
And as is the case of all of Jesus' miracles, they were instantaneous. They were complete. It's an astounding story of ingratitude, which we'll get to in just a moment, but it's also a wonderful story of gratitude, of worship, and of salvation. Verse 11, it says uh, again, it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem. I need one of those little things that uh, accountants use, the rubber thumbs, uh, you know, to flip the page. So it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem. Sometime during this journey through Israel in the final months as he's preaching the gospel, he's headed finally to Jerusalem for the last time. And this encounter with ten lepers happens. And at some point on this journey, he was passing between Samaria and between and Galilee. And as he's, he's moving in the region between Samaria and Galilee, he entered a, a certain village, preaching the gospel and demonstrating his compassion and his power through the miracles, through his miracles. So he enters the village. It says, ten men who had leprosy met him there, and they stood at a distance. They were the miserable people, and they kept their distance. So they only came as near as they dared to come. They stayed at a distance. And it says in verse 13 that they called out in a loud voice. They called out in a loud voice. Their feeble voices, I'm assuming, with their affected larynxes. They, they raised them in some sort of strange, you know, choral cacophony saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Of all the words they chose, they may have chosen, they chose the word master. And in the original Greek language, the New Testament is written in, the word is epistates, epistates. It is used only by Luke, and it is only used here to refer to Christ by anyone other than his followers. It was a word of some weight. It was a word of honor. In fact, the word epistates speaks of someone who has notable authority or notable power. And that's why it's used to apply to Jesus. So here these men are borrowing a word that affirms that they recognize the notable power and the notable authority of Jesus, which is to say that they had had some exposure to his power, to his, to his abilities. They, they knew his, his reputation. We'll leave it that way. I'm going to take a quick drink of water, which I conveniently placed all the way over here. Sorry. So this was their only hope. Jesus was their only hope. This was their only chance. They had no other way out of this dilemma. There were no cures. There were no solutions. They couldn't go to Kaiser and get a prescription. So they say, have pity on us. These guys are desperate. Have pity on us. And verse 14 says, when he saw them, Jesus, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Well, why did he tell them to do that? Because he was obeying the law of God. That's why. Earlier I mentioned how the priests were the health inspectors of the day. And before a leper could be de declared clean and brought back into the fold, brought back into society, a priest had to examine them. And one of the things that stuns me every time I read a story of a miracle like this is the understatement of it. Because if it were me, I would have hired Steven Spielberg 
and I would have made a big Hollywood blockbuster out of this. But no, there's no fanfare. There's no hoopla. It's on the DL. They just started walking. They just started walking. And they're made new. And they're healed. This is a stunning, shocking, riveting, amazing moment. From the top to the bottom, they are healed. It's all gone. And all alike started toward the priest, and all alike, all alike received a healing. But just a short time after that, the commonality was broken. Verse 15 says, One of them, one of them, when he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. Just one. Just one. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, came back from the direction of the priest, wherever they were, and he stopped, he stopped in his tracks, he spun around, he came back full of joy, full of amazement, full of wonder. And he's just, you know, trying to process everything that's just happened. Think of the implications. Imagine this for a moment. Put yourself in his shoes. Think of the implications of what this means for him. He's able to, to go back to his family. He's able to go back to his friends. Able to go back to his life. But he saw more than that. He saw a lot more than that. He understood the real implications of what had just happened. He had been in the presence of God. And he wanted more than just a physical healing. He went back embracing the full potential of getting from God what he knew he needed. His heart was longing for a relationship with the divine healer, and he wanted to give his life to and submit himself to that divine healer. He wanted to fall on his face beneath that divine healer as a sinner and worship him and adore him as well as praise him and thank him. He wanted something more than just a physical healing. He wasn't content with just that. He understood the reality of his alienation and his need for reconciliation to God. So he comes back and he does three things. First, it says at the end of verse 15 that he praised God. He praised God with a loud voice, perhaps a voice that was now able to do what it hadn't been able to do for a long time. No more squeaky, raspy, weak voice. He praised God. He comes back at the top of his lungs, praising God, meaning he knew where the power had come from. He knew he had been healed, and he knew Jesus was more than just a mere man, right? But he doesn't just praise God. He doesn't stop there. The next verse, verse 16, says that he threw himself at Jesus' feet. He worshiped God. That was the second thing he did. He worshiped God. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus. He takes this worshiping, submissive posture. And the third thing he did, he thanked God. Verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He knew that it was God who had given him this gift. He knew it. He could not restrain his praise. He could not restrain his worship. He could not restrain his thanks. He knew he was in the presence of God. Well, what are the other nine guys doing? I don't know. Maybe they went to Cracker Barrel. 
Maybe this happened on a Sunday, and Sunday night is pot roast night at Cracker Barrels. And who's going to pass that up? So maybe that's where they were headed. No. Um, I think they were doing uh, just what God had asked them, what Jesus had asked them to do, to go to the priests. But the one man who returned, he knew he needed a Savior. He knew he had come face to face with God and that his soul had been transformed. He knew he was a sinner, but he knew that God had showed him mercy and compassion and kindness and power. The one man who returned, it says at the end of verse 16, that he was a Samaritan, the least likely from a Jewish viewpoint to be healed. He was an outcast. Jews had no dealing with with Samaritans. They hated each other. Samaritans had intermarried with Gentiles, and the Jews believed that the Samaritans polluted their race and polluted their religion. They had no relationships with them at all. Surely no one would expect God to heal a Samaritan, but we all know that that was not the case. Verses 17 and 18, Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? The word foreigner was a strong word. Nobody came back except this man of another race. He's a Samaritan. He's a foreigner. He can't go into the the forbidden inner court of the temple, but instead he walks right back face to face with God himself and goes into his own holy of holies. He falls on his face before the Holy One and worships in humility and in joy. And in verse 19 of the story, it reaches its wonderful ending when Jesus says to the man, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. So you see in this man a level of trust and gratitude and humility and contentment, all components of a faith that embraces Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's a faith that bows humbly in recognition of one's own lowliness in the presence of God. It's a faith that Jesus says saves. I can't help but look at the other nine and wonder if they are representative of the general attitude of us sometimes. Uh, uh, Gary has mentioned uh, on a number of occasions that uh, a lot of people uh, want the American dream with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in to it. I think there's a lot of truth to that. People, I I wonder if if maybe they thought, you, you know, or if maybe we think, you know, give us healing, give us food, give us blessings, do miracles, but don't expect worship. Don't expect submission. Don't expect gratitude. Don't expect us to acknowledge you as God. You know, as he traveled about and preached the gospel, lots of people heard the message of Jesus. Lots of people enjoyed the benefit of his power. Lots of people basked in the wonder of his teachings and his miracles. But only a few came and praised him and fell at his feet and worshipped him and humbled themselves and offered him thanks. The majority were the takers. The smaller group was the ones who gave him worship. The majority were content with having the quality of their lives improved a little bit, but the smaller group wanted him to change their souls. 
and transform their hearts. So I want to ask you one more time before we close it out. And I'd like to invite uh, uh, Daniel and Kayla and Carolyn to the stage, please. I want to ask, what does your journal look like? Is it full of a lot of, oh boy, moments? Or types of reflections? Or or is it full of, you know, the opposite? Because we do have a choice. And my hope and prayer for me as well as for each of you is that when we take time to reflect on how he has blessed us, on how he has shown his faithfulness to our lives, on how he has saved us and redeemed us and rescued us from sin and rescued us from an eternity separated from him, then in response to all of that, we will choose praise. We will choose worship. We will choose gratitude. That we'll choose this attitude. I'm going to hand the mic over to Carolyn for a moment to uh, close out this part in prayer because I need to strap on a guitar and switch hats. So here we go. All right. Matt, just thank you for um, this morning. Thank you for showing up, for being willing to jump in at last minute. I appreciate you, and I know that everybody appreciates you. So as we pray for Gary's healing. So um, let's, let's go ahead and let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just uh, we come before you this morning, and we just thank you. Thank you for your word and the reminder of your goodness. Lord, we know um, you are good, but sometimes life wants to rob and steal away our praise. But right now, right now, right here, right now, we just want to praise you and thank you for um, who you are and your goodness and your faithfulness and your cleansing and your healing from our sins. And, Lord, we will be the one the one that comes back praising in a loud voice, not neglecting your love for us. So today we honor you and we worship you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, church, and let's worship God one last time together before we go our separate way. And I so do appreciate you being here, and I appreciate everyone tuning in and uh, uh, engaging in worship with us. Uh, It's an honor and a privilege to be with you, and I want to encourage you to keep praying for Gary and and for his healing. You know, they were gone last weekend, and and he's gone again today, and I I know that's driving him nuts. (laughs) I know he wants to be here with you instead. I know Joy wants to be here with you as well. So we appreciate your prayers for his healing and for his recuperation. Let's sing together one last time. Here we go. God of love, God of all glory, every day I see your mercy. Great is your faithfulness. 
God of love, God of my story, you never fail, you never forsake me. Great is your faithfulness. I see you in the morning light. I feel you in the fire by night. I you say, child, I am with you. Everything will be alright. I see you in tears that run. I feel you when the healing comes. Here you say, beloved one, I'm with you Every moment of my life I see you God, I see you. God of love, God of new vision, every blessing you have given. Great is your faithfulness, yeah. How great is your faithfulness. I see you in the morning light. I see you in the fire by night. find him. Thank you so much for being with us. Be sure to pick up some uh, invitations to our trunk or treat on the table back there so you can hand them out. Appreciate you doing that. Great to see you again. Have a wonderful day.